the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report. Very glad to have you joining me today. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. If we themed this week at the Situation Report, this would be Tech Week. (laughs) It just kind of worked out that way. So much going on in the tech world, particularly in the social media world. And of course, Elon Musk has really uh, pushed that movement this week. A lot of conversation around that. And even on this show, we've talked about it a few times. We're going to talk about it one more time today, but from a different perspective. Today, we're asking the question, how does a move like this impact culture? Uh, Not exactly what is happening technically, what are the the aspects or the bricks that need to be built uh, on this wall for Elon to pull this off. But how does this impact our culture? And it really does. We miss this so often. We're going to talk about this with an incredible guest. Very glad that he would join us. Our guest today is Colin Pruitt. Colin is a writer and contributor with the American Conservative, Newsmax, Real Clear Politics. He's been involved in a bunch of other stuff and uh, is here to help us understand what is happening in the world of social media. Colin, thanks for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. We're going to jump into uh, what I believe is a very confusing topic, and I'm sure you can unpack it for us. Before we get there, could you give us a little bit of your background? I know you have uh, kind of a diversity of experiences in the conservative media world. Talk to us a little bit about your background and how you kind of came to focus on some of these more cultural issues. Yeah, so I got started in politics really young. Uh, I worked on various campaigns, uh, just got involved uh, with Turning Point USA was my first uh, job in politics, uh, working over in their field program uh, with Charlie Kirk and all the great people up there. And uh, served a, a brief time in the Trump administration at the uh, Department of Homeland Security, which can't keep itself out of the news nowadays. <laughs> and uh, just, uh, you know, have just tried to be a fighter for, you know, my my grandparents and the people that I grew up with. And, uh, you know, I just think conservative solutions are the right, right way for the country. And uh, hopefully we can execute on that a little bit more now that we're able to speak freely. You work with Turning Point and uh, what an incredible organization. Do you are, are you encouraged by young conservatives and some of the things that they're doing right now, some of the things they're involved in? Yeah, I think that's where the energy's at uh, of the whole movement. I think you look around and uh, kind of the the new right, as is, is it's called, the realignment yeah. that, that President Trump uh, set off in 2016 has really just been kind of uh, seized on, driven by, uh, staffed by young people who I think are looking for new solutions. Obviously, most of our contemporaries uh, are socialists. And, you know, that's unfortunate. But and we're trying to fight back against that. But I think what we understand is that, uh, you know, look, our our contemporaries are looking for new ideas. They're crushed by student debt. They're uh, they're run out of the housing market. Uh, You know, they're victims of a globalized economy. Uh, There's no manufacturing jobs for them. Uh, There's hardly anything outside of service sector jobs for them. So, 
you know, we want to see a the realignment that President Trump brought with that kind of America first agenda. Uh, but other people my age uh, want socialism. I think what's true is that places like Turning Point, like me, young conservatives, uh, all young people, we're going to drive change. Uh, it's just a question right now that that's going to be left wing or right wing. Right. And I really hope that uh, we, we embrace uh, conservative solutions. My uh, my daughter is 23. <laughs> uh, she's getting older all the time, so I always forget. Uh, 22. She's not quite 23. She attends Chapman University. She is uh, getting ready to graduate there. And uh, last night, Dennis Prager was there for an event for uh, put on by the Young Republicans Club. She sent me a picture. She got to do a meet and greet, and it was pretty awesome to see. But she took a picture of the protest that was taking place outside, which is, is funny, right? Because Chapman is a, an upper middle class, um, you know, white, right. <laughs> South Orange County school. And uh, there's 40 kids out there holding signs about how Dennis Prager is a fascist. But um, it really is interesting to see. And I'm encouraged to see young people going, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a conservative answer and being willing to step up and, and begin making some progress on that, because that really is the future. Well, it's it's true. And I and the, the ace up our sleeve is we're outnumbered. But because we've had to, to fight like I had crazy experiences on campus. I mean, people being arrested at protests, right. riots. Uh, and, you know, that was in the heart of Texas. And uh, but our. Young people are sharper because they've had to defend mm. their ideas. Yep. Uh, they've been in these battles. And you just and it's not just me saying, oh, I'm a conservative. And so I'm, you know, so much smarter than the left. It's just that we've been battle tested. Yeah. By the time yeah. you get out of college, you have to be sharp on your ideas. Or, you know, you're going to get graded down. You're going to get harassed. You're going to get uh, called a fascist. You mm. know, I mean, your your property damage. It's really a, a intimidating place to be as a young person uh, who's just trying to fit in. So, you know, anytime you've got a conservative, you're talking about someone who's very outspoken and uh, ready to fight. And I think that's just good for our future. Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their lives. He created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for you and me. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. Sale of the year. That means it's not going to happen again. This is the sale of the year. What is it? For a limited time, you will receive 60% off the Giza Dream Sheets that comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. You will receive a set for as low as $39.99. For a limited time, with any purchase, you will receive Mike's soft cover book free when you use promo code SITREP. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code SITREP. Along with this offer, you will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. For those of you that would rather use the phone, and some of you are out there, you know who you are, call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or MyPillow.com and use the promo code SITREP. And uh, as you mentioned, uh hopefully some of the platforms, some of the media that gives a voice to conservatives, and it, it's given a voice to liberals for a long time, give a voice to conservatives, is beginning to open up. Um, let's, let's talk for a minute about Twitter and about um, Elon Musk. I think it's really interesting what's happening with Twitter, but I think the story is much larger than Twitter and much larger even than Elon Musk. But let's start there. Can you give us a, an overview of what has happened, what is happening, what is going to happen, and, and kind of what it means for that platform in particular, and then we can kind of work from there. Yeah, so basically Twitter after, 
I guess January 6th last year, Jack Dorsey, we're not really sure the circumstances, mm. but the old kind of CEO of Twitter, he just kind of bailed right after all of the censorship right. crackdown came in, right? And uh, so I thought that was really interesting. And this guy, Prague Agrawal, he comes in uh, and is just a, runs a pro-censorship regime at, at the company, uh, really cracks down. I mean, just in the last weeks, you had seen Charlie Kirk was thrown off Twitter. Uh, Tucker Carlson yep. was thrown off yep. Twitter. The Babylon Bee, and it looks like the Babylon Bee was the one that caught uh, Elon Musk's mm. eye, and uh, he decided that he was going to purchase it, uh, bought it for a fifty-four forty a share, which was yeah. generous, right? Very generous <laughs> right. For, for Twitter, and uh, so he upped the market value. Uh, they talked about doing poison pills they talked about fighting back but i think he came in with such an offer they were just they were getting regulatory trouble if they wouldn't accept it and uh you know so that that's kind of the the overview is that he's working on it i think they've got a pending offer and they'll have to work through uh you know a lot of the just details in the coming months i think a lot of people think that it's already a done deal or the twitter's already mm. uh being run by mm. musk because there's been a lot of activity yeah. and Things have changed uh, quite drastically in the platform in just a few days, but I think that's more from excitement. Uh, we don't know what Elon Musk's regime is going to look like over at Twitter. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about it. There's a lot of reason to be skeptical about it. But regardless, it's a massive cultural shift. You're talking about one of the few major tech institutions uh, and the one that carries the most elite opinion where, where journalists uh, right. get their information and share their information. Uh, you're talking about one of those being captured by someone who at least uh, has a face value commitment to American principles, like traditional American principles, like free speech, free expression, free press. Uh, you know, we've kind of had a corporate cartel that's controlled right. all of tech and all of information for a decade now, and that's broken. And uh, you can see with the way <laughs> some of the people uh, are reacting on Twitter that they're threatened by it. Right. Uh, people in the media. <laughs> right. And uh, I mean, they're even having the SEC, you know, rattle their swords a little bit. They're introducing bills in Congress. Yeah. Uh, this is a real threat. Uh, if you control the narrative and you're and you've had controlled the narrative for decades on decades on decades, uh, you, they probably just lost control of it, at least for now. We'll have to see how tough Musk is. What to, to, to that, what, and this is hard to understand, I think, and I'm not sure you, you can know, but as you observe this, what is his motivation other than just liking the satire of the Babylon Bee, which we all love? Um, how, <laughs> what is a guy like that who has everything you could want? Why would he go through the trouble? Why would he spend the money? Why would he get involved in something like this? Um, what, what's his ultimate motivation? I mean, I, I'd like to believe that he just loves the First Amendment and he really cares about America. Maybe he does. Maybe that's it. But is there something else there, something we should be watching for? I can't read his mind. Sure. I can't read into sure, of course. billionaires. I, I would say that, uh, you know, one of the motivating factors he did talk about, like on a tech talk, was that for his businesses, he has to have uh, a place where people can express mm. uh, their views freely. For example, he probably was watching what was going on during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and all of the suppression of what was scientific truth. And they were calling it disinformation. So if you're Elon Musk, you've named your company after Tesla, right? Yeah. And Tesla was a man who had his scientific truth proven, you know, models of, you know, electric distribution, all kinds of patents. 
just be ground down and censored and silenced by, you know, Thomas Edison, some of the financiers of the day, right? Uh, you know, in, but through some of the newspapers even. And uh, so I think he understands that for his own projects to succeed, because they are uh, advanced, they are revolutionary in every way, uh, what he's doing at Tesla, he's going to have to have a place where free information that's accurate about his companies can flow uh, because he can't risk uh, these kind of follow the science crackdowns coming for Tesla because they're not scientific. And uh, he's, he's, uh, he's got to worry about kind of a, I don't know, CDC bureaucratic regime putting him out of business. Right. Do you worry at all that Jack Dorsey this last week said that Elon Musk is someone he trusts? Now it is weird. We don't know what happened to Dorsey in the last, you know, six months. Um, but is that a concern at all? Is that something that we should go, well, maybe it's a red herring of sort? Yeah, well, I think that we're, we've got to be skeptical about Musk. Like, I'm glad he's a, he's a tenfold improvement over the people from the past. Sure, sure. And I think even Dorsey was better. I mean, Dorsey leaving Twitter was a real blow to the institution. He wasn't good, but the people that replaced him uh, were much, much worse, far more dry, ideologically driven. Uh, and just far more nakedly partisan, right? Uh, I would say. Uh, but on the other half of that, Musk is not uh, someone who's conservative. And if you go to kind of, he, he talked about political neutrality for the platform. And I think that's what uh, Dorsey's into, and that's fine. But if you kind of think about like, say, Robert Conquest rules of politics, right? Number two is that any organization that is not uh, intentionally or explicitly right-leaning will over time become left-leaning. Mm. And I and I wonder if Elon understands the nature of that threat, mm. because right now he can say, well, I'm for political neutrality. We're going to institute free speech. That's true. But he's going to have to reshape the Twitter bureaucracy, right. the people who actual control, actually control the algorithms. He's too busy. He can't make every decision about which account is going to be favored and which account yep. is going to be throttled or who's going to be banned and who's going to not be banned. He's going to have to put that in the hands of a tech bureaucracy. And it's going to be very difficult for him to find and maintain a workforce and a culture of free speech, you know, in Silicon Valley. I'm interested to see if he moves. I think that would be just a really, really telling sign where he moves it uh, is going to reflect the culture of the company. But if he believes that he can maintain a politically neutral platform with the with the the ethos of the modern yeah. left, I think he's in for it. I think they're going to come for him. I think they're going to push him. And he's going to either have to take an explicitly center-right stance or he's going to have to eventually turn it back over uh, to the woke mobs. Uh, there's just there's just not going to be an in-between because uh, the people who are going to be on this platform, they don't believe in free speech. Sure. And if half sure. the people don't believe in free speech, they're going to demand silence regardless of if he's permitting it or not. When we talk about uh, something like this from a cultural perspective, the impact culturally, how do you how do you view that or how do you think about that? It, it's easy to say, well, this is just social media. And I think a lot of people, you know, you and I would be much more engaged with what's happening in the social media world than 90 percent of people probably yeah. in America. But it does impact <laughs> culture because it impacts how we think. Um, how do you how do you think about those things, the, the connection between social media and culture? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the entire, it's the public square. I think when people talk about that, they're 100% right. It is the place where people go, interact, and uh, and get their information. And for better or for worse, that's the way it is right now. 
and uh, it was being throttled. So like, you know, if I have uh, an idea that's groundbreaking or revolutionary, but it threatens institutional power, uh, it's censored. And that's the current regime and uh, it needs to be fixed. Musk is fixing it, but it's absolutely every ounce of culture, every little bit of culture has changed. Uh, If parents who might be listening are, uh, you know, if they're looking at their kids and wondering, man, what are they into? You know, I I didn't teach them this. I've never seen any of this stuff. You know, hop on their phone and and give a scroll through Snapchat and look Mm. at the Snapchat news section. I mean, it's unbelievable some of the stuff that's on there. It makes some of the critical race theory and uh, critical gender theory stuff in you know school books, uh, you know look look appropriate. Sure, it's, <laughs> sure. Uh, it's it's really an incredible place. And uh, but Facebook is still the largest. You know, Instagram I, I think has more sway in some ways. But as far as Twitter specifically, the cultural implications is this is where elite and whatever you want to say about elite opinion, most elite opinions bad and it's wrong. And you know whoever went to Harvard. <laughs> Usually, you know, their opinion's not good. Right. I haven't, but whatever they're saying, that's where they're saying it. They're saying it on Twitter, right? And so if you want to keep up with what's coming down the pipe, because the left works in a way where it's like they 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 kind of target about 10 years out. They'll say, Well, maybe someday, if we ever really got the chance, 10 years from now, we might do this, but Mm. not really. We're not gonna do Mm. that. They'll promise the voters, of course. Uh, whether you know it comes to Gay marriage yep. comes to any social yep. revolution the country's uh, endured. But that all starts on these platforms. This is where you get what they're really thinking. They're tweeting it out for the world to see. They might campaign on something totally different. But on Twitter, they're among themselves. They feel among themselves, among the other kind of blue check, Brooklyn, yeah. Washington, D.C. Yeah. And so they, they're, they're literally just putting out everything they believe on Twitter for the world to see. And there's almost no consequences to it, but it has the effect of moving the Overton window left and left and left and left. And when they censor any pushback to it, then you're just speeding the process up because there's no, there's no pushback whatsoever. They keep, uh, when they censor a conservative, they are censoring conservatives socially. There's no way out of that for a conservative. It ruins, uh, it ruins people's careers, entire platforms, are built on social media. For example, we would not be able to get this show out to yeah. people and, and have this conversation go public without social media. Yeah. And so I think they understand the power of that. They understand the cultural power of that. Uh, one more quick example. The whole post-Floyd, uh, post-George Floyd, Black Lives Matter movement yeah. was only possible through social media. And that had a profound and probably irreparable uh, impact on, on American culture and how we treat police, how we, how we just regard everyday law and order. The idea that uh, parents would be okay with sending their kids to schools with uh, tents and syringes at the public parks five years ago. That's outrageous, yeah. right? But yeah. because of social media's proliferation and its impact on culture, now this is every American city. Yeah. And so we just have to be really careful and we have to understand that Social media can speed uh, processes that used to take decades and uh, required intense debate. It can it can end the entire argument, and they can speed run their entire agenda through in six months uh, using the power of this technology. And with censorship, there's absolutely no check on their power. So Elon Musk buying this is giving uh, at least a little bit of a check 
back, uh, you know, to, to conservatives and just to everyday people who are just not on board with kind of the, the permanent revolution that we're enduring. We were not made to live in isolation. Sadly, many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. A lot of guys end up drinking, a lot of guys end up losing hope. Someone will go to the VA and they'll try to get, you know, prescription medications to help with PTSD. You know, they'll get pills for anxiety, they'll get pills because they can't sleep, now they'll get pills for depression before they know it. they're taking 12 different medications. And when it's not working out, these guys lose hope, and that's why there's 23 guys a day committing suicide. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. As a result, we've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Everything they said just kept hitting me in the heart over and over and over again. It's like all the things that I didn't know that I needed to hear. And uh, I opened my heart to God that week, dude, and like, I've been a different person ever since. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. We provide our programs and resources, including travel, at no cost to our warriors. I remember talking to a licensed uh, social worker who actually handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. So I went, yeah, I'm glad I did. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. Our mission is to serve and restore our nation's warriors and families who have endured hardship through their service to America and to help them find new life purpose through hope in Christ. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. That is uh, such a great perspective. I, I, I fall into kind of the leave me alone category most of the time. As a conservative, I mostly just want to be left alone. I remember the first time yeah. someone suggested I get a Twitter account. It's been a lot of years ago now. And, and I, I thought, why would I want to do that? Why, why would I have any interest in knowing what other people are talking about or having them know what I'm talking about? My life has changed since then, but I remember having that conversation. We talk a lot about what it is that conservatives can do, how conservatives can deal with this. And so many strategies are already being employed to prop up. Elon Musk to prop up Twitter. We're seeing a lot of changes, a lot of shifting happen. Um, but people who aren't professionals, people who have kids, they've got jobs, maybe they're like a lot of conservatives where they just want to be left alone. With everything that you just said, it's very, very clear, and it should be, that this impacts their lives whether they know it or not. Where you send your kids right. to school, whether or not you have to fight the, the COVID vaccine fight, whether or not you have access to, you know, the healthcare that you want, all these things, it happens there. What can average people do or what should average people do to encourage free speech, to encourage uh, conservative thought, to prop up platforms and others who are doing the right thing? How do normal people or how should normal people not only think about this, but what should they do about it? Yeah. So the, the most important thing, none of it matters, speech and all of that, it, it's, it's incredibly important, uh, but it's it's even less important than I think, you know, something people treat as kind of a peripheral issue. But 
the one thing that everyone can do is is become familiar with the idea of algorithms. Uh, the basically there are these kind of math equations that drive. It's very complicated tech, but it's it drives what you do and do not see mm. on social media, right? Because it's not someone posting something. It's they are selecting. Uh, it's it's almost like a newspaper editor, right? The New York Times will select what facts you see and what facts you do not see. But the difference is, is that you can choose to subscribe to the New York Times sure. or you can choose sure. not to subscribe to the New yep. York Times. In a modern economy, everything is connected to social media, whether that's through marketing, whether that's through data. I mean, you name it. Retail, everything is done through social media. It's a massive marketplace on top of a public square. It's just an open air bazaar for all of yep. American life. And uh, but these algorithms decide who gets in the public square and who gets in the market and who doesn't. And so we could be talking about, uh, say, Amazon's algorithms could be picking winners and losers according to, you know, what uh, benefits Jeff Bezos, for example. Twitter's algorithms, we have a pretty good idea of what they do. We know they censor conservatives, but we don't know the extent sure. of it. And we, we don't know uh, how they did it. And so the most important thing that anybody today can do is they can pressure, whether that's on their social media accounts, whether that's talking to people, whether that's being active in politics and talking to their congressman. But the most important thing we do is not just thank Elon Musk, right? I think there's been a lot of thanking mm -hmm. going yeah. on. That's great. He's going to make a profit. Uh, but, you know, what I'm interested in is getting action from Elon Musk. And what everyone should be saying is release the algorithms. We want to know why President Trump was thrown off Twitter. We want to know why Tucker Carlson was banned from Twitter. We want to see it. We want to see the notes. We want to see the, uh, you know, even publish the, uh, I understand it's part of their competitive, uh, you know, it's, it's part of their market value. It's having these, uh, having these algorithms. It's, uh, it's what brings value to their platform. But they're going to have to release that uh, to the public because too much of the market, too much of our media, uh, too much of our culture, uh, too much of just every little, you name it, church, every aspect of your life is impacted by this. And there's zero democratic accountability uh, over these over these platforms. You know, I, I personally think that if these technologies had existed, uh, you know, way back when the founding fathers would have passed uh, constitutional amendments protecting people's data rights and requiring algorithmic transparency yep. because it is so integral to your life not to have control over it is to lack a serious degree of it, it's to it's to lack liberty you lack you have being deprived of human liberty and it leads itself to saying for example like this the uh social credit system in china right if we don't know what's going on in these algorithms we could be being fed into one of those social credit systems without even knowing right. it there's indication that that's already what's happening and uh, you're talking about Google, Amazon, Facebook, Facebook and Instagram, of course, are together now. Uh, TikTok, which is owned by the Chinese government and, you know, directly uh, works with ByteDance and gets its orders from Beijing. You're talking about that's being broadcast in the minds of millions and millions and millions of America's young Chinese selected content. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, all of it has to be regulated. But the first place we can start is Twitter because we have someone who is at least committed to these principles. Uh, Musk has talked about doing some algorithmic transparency, but there's going to be enormous pressure uh, from the tech community for him to not release those because they all know uh, 
it's going to blow the lid off of all of their practices because Twitter's algorithms are probably going to be mundane compared to people who have the information that say Google has yeah, on right. the average American. Right. That's uh, so. incredible advice. I, I think um, a lot of people take for granted the information. You you Google something, you know, it's become a, is that a verb to Google something? Yes. <laughs> we, we say we're going to Google it and you just accept the information that comes up as that's the information. Last night, my kids, uh, my younger kids at dinner were asking me a question about President Trump because they ask weird questions because they're, they're kids. And I, I didn't know the answer. I can't even remember what the question was. I said, I have no idea. Why don't you ask our Google Home, right, sitting over there? So my daughter did. Google Home would not answer the question. It was the craziest thing to me. I don't know, but here are some articles. And it was a list of articles that had nothing to do with the question that was asked. And that's an algorithm saying we're not going to give you the information you're looking for. Um, people right. need to understand that. How do they push back, though? How do we demand accountability or oversight? It's, it's one thing to say I know I'm being lied to. I think it's another thing to know what to do about that. How do I demand that Twitter does what they say they're going to do? And how do I get control of some of the other platforms? So I think it's uh, I think what you have to do is demand more of, you know, your Republican congressman. I, I know that, that this is a private uh, this is a private industry. And obviously, like, I guess you can tweet at Elon Musk if you want to lobby him. But it's Elon Musk. <laughs> right. he, he paid outright for the company. Yeah, you know, right. he's going to do with the company sure. what he wants. Uh, you know people want to take it that far, I think. But what people really need to understand is that this is beyond an issue of free markets. These markets are so vital and they're so revolutionary uh, that they are going to take an update in our thinking about uh, what a republic needs, yeah. what political liberty requires. And that's going to uh, take people pressuring their congressmen saying, look, I understand that you're for the free market, but if you truly want a free market, you're going to have to uh, adjust your conceptions. Uh, I, a lot of Republicans, uh, especially, and this is kind of getting back to talking about uh, young Republicans being a little bit different, more aggressive. A lot of the older Republicans are kind of uh, love the idea of like the Reagan Republican, like 1980s limited government, free markets, and all of that's good. And it's all true. But the 1990s, the tech revolution fundamentally changed the world. And the our democracy, our republic has to respond to that. And the only people who can make that happen are, uh, from our perspective at least, are people in office. Because there's going to be right. regulatory discussions. Right. Uh, right. Now that now that Twitter is out of the hands of Democrats, you best believe there's going to be yeah. regulatory Now they're going to care. They care all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. Right. Section 230 reform was <laughs> off the table until last right. week. Right. Now, now they're on uh, 230. It's yeah. on everybody's uh, agenda right now. Right. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi is just a huge trust fund. <laughs> but uh, and so people, but people need to understand that look, these reforms are going to take place if you value free speech and if you value uh, ownership of your own your own data, your own information. People don't even realize that their data is like an asset. Yeah, yeah, that they have no ownership yeah. of. And so we should be talking. We should be working with conservatives to say, hey, how do we bring people in? How do we figure out ways to give people ownership of their own data so that they understand it as their own? They can profit on it as their own if they choose. Uh, you know, people will say, well, they exchange their data for free, uh, you know, to be able to use Facebook. Well, that's not an even trade, right? Because you're not being told right. what the value right. of your data is. Right. So, so if, for example, like if Facebook came to me and said, look, 
your 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 data is worth $150 to us or how about uh, however much it is. It, it varies by people and, and such as that. But if they were to come to me and say, your data for your life is worth 150 bucks, well, I might be able to say, okay, maybe I'll sit on that and sell it at a later date and use it for retirement. I don't know. But however you do it, sell it through a brokerage firm. Right. There's a million ways right. you could come up to, with a regulatory right. scheme. But you cannot have a shareholder economy if people don't even own their own yep. basic assets. Right. right. And, uh, you know, that goes, that goes for everything that goes for home ownership, right. Which is disappearing. Uh, but I, I just think we should, you know, expand, uh, expand our conception of the market, expand our conception of rights and say that data is ours, right. Our transactions, our interactions on this great public square are ours to keep and ours to profit off of ours to monetize how we want or not to monetize. Yeah. You know, someone can choose privacy right. if they want. Right. It may be worth what a novel concept, right? Right. <laughs> what what impact will uh, this move have on the other platforms that have recently come online? Um, I I've been in favor of, and I still am. You know, developing technologies and new platforms. I think all of it's good. But um, two days ago, I got an email from Parler. I forgot I had a Parler account, but apparently I do. And uh, they sent an email out to all their users and said, this is, doesn't change anything. We're still growing. We're still going. Um, I'm a fan of Getter. Uh, Jason Miller did a live yesterday uh, talking about the future of Getter. Um, we've seen this on other platforms, Gab, for instance, and others. Um, it sounds like they are concerned Will this have a, a net impact on them or is it just, you know, it'll be kind of more of the same? How do you how do you look at that? Yeah, I think it will. I, you know, I like some of those, especially Getter. I yep. have uh, friends over there yep. and they're great people. Um, but I thought once I thought once President Trump didn't get on Getter and he, you know, went off into truth, which I waited on the truth sign up for like four weeks. And, you know, I love the president. I was appointment appointee. Yeah. For the president, I think he was a great president, but, uh, you know, truth is just not social media. I think I'll use a ton. Yeah. And uh, I know most people are still on waiting lists. And uh, I think that kind of took the momentum out of those guys' sales. It's good to have those things. We don't know. Musk could be uh, unhinged. Sure, sure. Musk could, you know, I mean, you're talking about we just put one of the great sources of information in the power of, like, one person's right. hands. <laughs> right. Of like, uh, and now Jeff Bezos is criticizing him. It's like... It's like we, we criticize the Russian oligarchs surrounding Putin. And it's like, well, we have billionaires. Right. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, they're going to be impact. I think is good. I hope people keep uh, on those platforms enough to keep them alive. It's good to have a backup. But I think people are excited. Uh, Twitter is one of the big dogs. Um, conservatives are free to speak freely on. Yeah. It's the only platform where that's going yeah. to happen. And I think in retaliation, I think you're going to see uh, the other tech platforms double down. I think they're going to succumb to pressure, which is going to be uh, enormous from the White House, from regulators. I mean, this Department of Homeland Security, yeah. like misinformation, yeah. yeah. this high council they're creating over there. Uh, you know, they're scared. They're going to push. I think Facebook's algorithms are going to get worse. I think uh, I think Instagram's will certainly get worse. You know, and just TikTok, Snapchat, um, they they have had a uh, an unprecedented grip on information for since, I mean, really since Watergate. I mean, right? I mean, this has just been 
before there was social media, there was five newspapers yeah, yeah, and three networks. Yeah. And so they've always had control over the narrative and uh, they've really lost uh, one of the, one of the key uh, institutions that helped them do that. And I, I think they're, they're worried and they, they should be. So last question, we look to the midterms. Um, I'm sure you've been asked this question probably 500 times in the last week, but will this, even though the deal is not finished, you know, and it, and it may not be before the midterms, we don't know exactly, but um, will this have an impact on the midterms? And then you just kind of answered the question I was going to ask, I think, but um, will the other platforms loosen up or will they double down as we get closer to the, to the elections? Yeah. So, well, first off, I think they're going to double down. I, I think that they, that's just their, that's their MO. Yeah. And the, you know, I, one thing I, I, I totally disagree with AOC's politics, but one thing I admire about her is she'll just take an insult on the chin and give it right back. Right. And that's their whole MO. They, they double down uh, for everything. And they know that uh, conservatives sometimes can be afraid to do the yeah. same. And uh, so, no, I think we'll see a lot of censorship go through the rest of the platforms, uh, at least in the short term. I don't think it's sustainable for them because I think more business people naturally want to go where they're free. Sure. sure. But in the short term, because of that Silicon Valley ethos and the pressure from Washington and the, the woke corporations and just you know, all of the filth that's accumulated uh, in these institutions. Yeah, I think you'll see them double down. But I also think that, uh, you know, this is this is emboldening for conservatives. This is this is one of the great uh, wins for us. We have to hold Musk accountable. We have to push Musk. I don't think he's perfect. I don't think this is a perfect resolution. But, man, this is still a massive win for free speech. Uh, We should feel emboldened right now. We should be out. Uh, talking about all the issues we care about, whether that's critical race theory, whether that's gender, all the cultural issues. Uh, Roe versus Wade will be decided potentially this summer, right? I mean, think about the implications of what would have happened to conservatives in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade if there wasn't a free speech platform. I mean, there wouldn't have been a conservative movement online. They would have censored their way through, uh, through everybody, and banned everybody because that would have been a stunning defeat for them. And so now in the aftermath of that, we have a place where we can organize and battle and fight and we're going to need it. Uh, Colin, I really appreciate uh, many your perspectives. Um, so many important things. I want to come back and talk about this again. And I know this is not an issue that's going to go away. So we'll have an opportunity. Where can people follow you? Uh, follow the work that you're doing, follow the writing. Um, I just started following you on Twitter, and it seems like every day you're putting out good, relevant content. I appreciate that. Uh, where do you want people to follow what you're doing? Yeah, just uh, find me on Twitter. Twitter is mostly what I'm doing, especially since it's, uh, like we are right. talking about, it's going to be the only free platform. <laughs> it's uh, at Pruitt under dash Colin, just Colin Pruitt, and uh, got a picture on there just kind of looking like uh, I'm on vacation, and uh, that's where I try to keep it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's not a serious Twitter, but I do put out stories for the American conservative, uh, sometimes Newsmax yeah. and a few other outlets, mostly the American conservative, just about once a week. And uh, that's always up on Twitter, uh, you know, where I'm trying to rally the troops and uh, turn in some wins for the movement. That's awesome. So. Well, Colin, thank you, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Yeah, I appreciate you all for having me on. It was a great time. Appreciate Colin's input. And uh, when we talk about culture, it's it's hard to see the full picture and the full impact of things like social media. We look at these technology platforms and we say, well, how does that impact culture? 
It absolutely impacts culture. The things that we are allowed to do, not allowed to do, the places we can go and can't go, the decisions that we're being told we need to make, all of it comes back to so many of these technology platforms. And I really appreciate that perspective. Please follow, uh, follow Colin. We'll get him back on our show, but follow him on social media. And uh, I know that that would be a blessing to you to get the right perspectives. So many people providing those. Thank you for watching and listening. If you are listening and not watching, whatever platform it is you're listening from, and we talk about technology platforms all the time, often in the negative. (laughs) They're great. They allow us to do shows like this and get the right information out, but make sure that you are subscribed to the Situation Report, and uh, that will allow you to get this information as soon as it comes out three times a week. If you'd like to watch instead of listen, or maybe watch and listen at the same time, go to SalemNow.com, and you can find every episode there. And uh, very excited to share those with you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.